Welcome to Overlooked. My name is Yemi, and I'll be your host for the show. Released weekly, I share Overlooked stories from around the world with you. This will include the good, the bad, the weird, and sometimes the absolutely hilarious. Come back often, share with your friends, and feel free to add the podcast to your regular podcast rotation, wherever you get your podcasts. If you come across stories or articles that you think should be featured here, please don't hesitate to share them. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode. I just have to say that my favorite story this week is the very last one. But no, 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 don't skip ahead. Wait till the very end. It's going to be absolutely worth it. All right then, let's jump straight into the stories for this week. The Africa Regional Certification Commission has now certified that the African region is free from wild polio after four years without a new case. This is a huge milestone for global public health. With the historic milestone, 90% of the world's population is now effectively free of the wild polio virus. This is gradually moving us to the goal of completely getting rid of polio across the world. According to the U.S. Center for Disease Control, Polio or poliomyelitis is a highly infectious, disabling, and life-threatening disease caused by the poliovirus. The virus spreads from person to person and can infect a person's spinal cord, causing paralysis where the infected person is unable to move certain parts of the body. Pakistan and Afghanistan are the only two countries worldwide that have continued to see transmissions of the wild poliovirus. The move to eradicate the wild polio virus from every corner of the African region started in 1996 with the Kick Polio Out of Africa campaign, which was a call to action by the late South African President Nelson Mandela to mobilize and eradicate the disease on the continent. At the time, 75,000 African children per year were being paralyzed by polio. So, after 24 years, and thanks to the dedicated efforts and sacrifices of health workers, community volunteers, traditional and religious leaders, parents, country leadership, and of course, with support from donors, now all children, even those in the most remote areas and the most insecure areas, have been reached with the polio vaccine. Today, about 220 million children across the African region are immunized against polio every single year. Yet, while we celebrate the job is not finished, these efforts must continue to prevent wild polio from returning and end polio in all its forms for good, both in Africa and everywhere around the world. Illegal gold diggers have destroyed a 2,000-year-old archaeological site in Sudan in the eastern region of the Sahara Desert. The Jabal Maraga site dates from the Meriothic period between 350 BC and 350 AD. It is believed to have either been a small settlement or some kind of checkpoint. Officials from Sudan's Antiquities and Museum Department said that when they visited the site some 270 kilometers north of the capital of Khartoum last month, they found two mechanical diggers and five men at work. The men had already excavated a vast trench about 70 meters deep and 20 meters long. Sudan is home to hundreds of pyramids and other ancient sites, which are not well known as those of its northern neighbor, Egypt. If you are not too familiar with Sudan's pyramids, look up Nubian pyramids. And of course, I will leave a helpful link in the blog. Just check the show notes of this episode. They are magnificent, and they have been recognized as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. 
It is quite sad though that they have not been protected quite as well as their Egyptian counterparts. Sudan's archaeologists have warned that the destruction of Jabal Maraga is not unique but part of a growing problem. In another instance at Sai, a 12-kilometer-long river island in the Nile, hundreds of graves, some dating back to the times of the pharaohs, have been raided and destroyed by looters. According to the AFP news agency, Sudan is Africa's third largest producer of gold after South Africa and Ghana, with commercial mining bringing in $1.2 billion to the government last year. But illegal mining is said to be encouraged by some local authorities and businessmen who give expensive machines to treasure hunters. Migrant workers who are from the Erevan district located in the Osh region of southwestern Kyrgyzstan have bought and handed over an $11,000 ambulance to a local hospital. Two more ambulances will be handed over to the Family Medicine Center, which serves over 126,000 people. Since the coronavirus outbreak, young residents of Aravan District have set up a charity fund to provide health care for organizations in the area. Most of the ambulances that were actually available before the donation were in a very deplorable condition. So this is fantastic news for the hospital and for everyone who the hospital impacts on a daily basis. The British street artist named Banksy, whose works I love by the way, funded a boat crewed by volunteers to rescue refugees that are stranded in the Mediterranean while trying to reach Europe. The boat is named Louise Miquel after a French feminist anarchist and has been operational since early August 2020. I have included a link to Banksy's Instagram post where he shares his motivation through the link in the show notes. You can also look up Banksy on Instagram for yourself. His handle is Banksy, B-A-N-K-S-Y. It's worth looking at. A little over a week after the boat launched, the boat had put out a distress call after being stranded due to overloading among other issues. Luis Miguel had rescued 89 people, including 14 women and 4 children from a rubber boat in distress before helping out 130 others. On Twitter, the Louis Miquel logged their calls for help and said that they had been ignored by European rescue agencies. The Coast Guard later said that a patrol boat dispatched from the southern Italian island of Lampedusa had taken 49 of those considered most vulnerable among the 219 migrants on board the migrant rescue boat. By the weekend, another boat called Sea Watch 4, which is jointly operated by Doctors Without Borders and the NGO Sea Watch, announced that it was altering its course and heading towards Luis Miquel. According to some data sources, since 2014, more than 20,000 migrants and refugees have died at sea while trying to reach Europe, fleeing conflict, repression, and poverty in parts of Africa and the Middle East. Even with these high numbers, some officials have warned that reality is far worse because some of those who have been lost at sea have never been found. Let us all shake our heads from left to right because this story is full of all the cringe. A Reddit sleuth on r slash Scotland recently found out that most of the Wikipedia pages that are supposed to be in the Scottish language was in fact written by a teen who A. is not Scottish does not understand Scottish and C just simply wrote articles that are written in English in a way that was supposed to mimic a spoken Scottish accent 
None of the pages were actually written using actual Scots grammar and vocabulary. I am not going to even try to pronounce what he said because, no, I'm not going to do that to you. But if you either follow the links in the episode show notes or just look up this story, you will find screenshots of the way he retranscribed the Scottish language, just trying to write phonetically. It's kind of funny, but more like in a shake your head kind of way. This went on for over six years. The Wikipedia user called Amaryllis Gardner single-handedly wrote over 23,000 articles on the Scottish version of Wikipedia and completed well over 200,000 edits. By the Redditor's count, Amaryllis was responsible for well over one-third of the Scots Wikipedia in 2018, but had stopped updating milestones in that year. Given how much dedication this person put into editing the document, I don't think there's a real indication that they had been trying to do something wrong on purpose. But even with the right intention, their work is broadly seen as extremely damaging and could arguably be the worst damage done to the Scottish language by a single person in recorded history. So I went through the comment section on the original Reddit post and it seemed a lot of people had come across the pages and had used them in arguments to say there was no real Scottish language and the Scottish language was actually just broken English. So from my view, the problem now isn't necessarily the person that did it because I've seen where he had written out an apology and said he didn't mean any harm. The actual problem is that Wikipedia is far-reaching and very large-scale. So while many people understand that Wikipedia pages can be freely edited and should not be taken as face value, Wikipedia is still the primary factual reference for a lot of people. Given the scale of the misinformation, I think it is a massive failure at the highest level of Wikipedia as an organization. Reach out on social media and let me know what you think. This episode seems to be covering multiple topics on ancient artifacts, and this is another one. Alright, let's continue. Teenage volunteers at an archaeological excavation in Israel found 425 gold coins that are around 1,100 years old. They are believed to have come from the Abbasid Caliphate and date back to the 9th century. During its golden age, the Abbasid Caliphate extended from Persia to North Africa. The news was announced by Israel's Antiquities Authority. They also did not announce the location of the site, which, given our story from Sudan, I say it's a great idea. This episode has really flown by. And before we discuss the very last story, did you know that tigers not only have striped fur, but they also have striped skin? The stripes that you see on the fur on the outside are the same pattern on the skin. And even more interestingly, these stripes are like fingerprints, which means that no two tigers have the same pattern. Cool, eh? Regular listeners will know that I generally prefer to end the episodes on a relatively light note. So here we are. At the end of the episode, with our last and admittedly weird story, a new study called, and I kid you not, this is the actual name, the Eye Cow Project, has found that painting eyes on the bum of cows help to discourage predators like lions. In fact, there are now practical guides for using the Eye Cow technique available through the Eye Cow Project. The main goal of the project was to reduce the conflict between livestock and carnivores. 
This simple and low-cost solution relies on the prediction that ambush predators such as lions will abandon the hunt when they believe that they are being watched by their prey. Another great perk is that farmers who would have otherwise attacked the carnivores that are trying to attack their livestock no longer have to do that. This helps to preserve the lives of big cats who we know are already at historically low numbers. So this is where we end this week's episode, at the confluence between science and cow bottoms. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your week. Bye. Thanks for listening, friends. As a reminder, the podcast is released weekly. Subscribe or follow across social media to be notified when a new episode is released. Overlooked is a Tunuka Media production, which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen, with more on the way. Follow Tunuka Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to connect to say hi or to be on the forefront of upcoming shows and program schedules. Until next time, I'm your host, Yemi. Wishing you a better tomorrow.